KBLA Talk 1580. The love is right here. And I'm inviting you to call in, give love, show love, or uh, the opposite of that. If you want to break down something that is upsetting you, uh, something that we need to know about, I would love to hear from you. 800-920-1580. 800-920-1580 is the number to call. So many um, great conversations this week. If you missed them, I hope you will hunt them down wherever you get your podcasts or download our app and get them. Um, First of all, Chiquita Twyman on Monday talking about uh, the murder of of her brother, Ryan Twyman, at the hands of the L.A. Sheriff's Department and really going in depth about how uh, how that family uh, struggled for justice and how they feel about receiving some measure of it. That uh, is Chiquita Twyman. Um, You can get that wherever you get your podcast. The conversation on Tuesday with Joe Michael Nixon, a.k.a. the Idea Man, um, a man who allegedly robbed 27 banks and uh, most definitely is now the one of the leaders, along with his partner, Vincent Bragg, of one of the most powerful ad agencies in the country, is both inspiring and um, informative. So if you haven't heard that one, uh, the conversation with Jarrett Hill, award-winning journalist, was definitely worth um, worth checking out um, and, and listening back to again. So lots and lots of things. And of course, if you're tracking our Friedman Friday show last week, we had Friday Jones, a.k.a. Kansa Muhammad. Uh, that is available for podcasts as well as on our app. The week prior, we had Kevin Cosney, um, who uh, is, of course, over the Black Power Network, um, Friday Jones, Kansa Muhammad, is a Los Angeles reparations commissioner and a national activist on the topic. And tomorrow we will have Dr. Cheryl Grills, who is on the California Reparations Task Force, and she will be joining us for another edition of Freedman Friday. So uh, you definitely don't want to miss that. We are um, keeping this conversation going. We are creating a comprehensive reparations conversation. All comers, all factions, every single organization is invited to the table. Let's talk it out, hash it out, work it out. Let's understand what's going on. Let's get this momentum in hand and continue to push the line. All these things are so important. And I am um, really um, honored and privileged to have the chance to um, to do that here at KBLA Talk 1580, even as we have taken on this gigantic um, climate justice initiative. You'll be hearing more about climate justice. You'll be hearing about the events and campaigns that we are unveiling. Uh, so we are on a mission here, along with our partners at LA Metro, LADWP, our partners um, at the AQMD um, and beyond, who are really m- looking to make sure that uh, the interests and voices of black people and BIPOC folks are at the table during the, the climate emergency, make sure that we are well informed and that we can push the envelope like we always do. So I, I'm really... Um, proud and happy to be part of that. You know, I'm always talking about this climate emergency. To me, it is a priority because if we don't have breathable air, if it's too 
hot or cold to sustain human life on our country, in our, in our country, in our nation, on our globe. We all share the same air. You can't wall off air. You can't build a wall, wall uh, for air. Then everything else is just a uh, moot. Like, why are you, every other issue, uh, sadly, is subsumed when we uh, can no longer live on a planet and we leave an unlivable space for our loved ones. And of course, um, we can do better and we will do better. And KBLA Talk 1580 is um, doing our best to lead the way in that particular space. Uh, 800-920-1580, the number to call if you have something to say. Um, yeah, E. Jean Carroll case is going on right now. What is that? Yet another um, problem for he who shall not be named the 45th president who remains the presumptive nominee of the Republican Party of today, right? And when he, I think he he might be psychic. Remember when he said uh, he could stand on Fifth Avenue and shoot someone and still um, have the adoration of his... uh, you know, his core audience, well, it appears to be true. Uh, yesterday was the second day of testimony in his second defamation trial against E. Jean Carroll. And the judge, uh, Judge Lewis Kaplan, is not playing. He rebuked Trump's lawyer at least 14 times over the course of that day, telling her to sit down, telling, uh, rejecting a sidebar, and just um, really trying to throw down the gauntlet because... Trump and his lawyers feel like they are above the law and they can just talk about judges, uh, endanger jurors, um, make lengthy speeches at any time, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and um, I think I, 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 it astounds me that this doesn't seem to impact his approval ratings or his support but I still have hope that it will erode it around the edges with those independents, with those that are on the fence, with people in the Republican Party who do have a conscience and start to think, is this really what we want uh, to empower and have in office? Um, if you remember, Trump lost the first case, although he was not found um, guilty or liable for rape sexual assault is as far as they could go. The judge made it clear that that's only because in New York City, the legal definition of rape is very narrow since he didn't actually put his uh, orange missile anywhere, you know, inside of her that technically doesn't count as rape, even though he um, did violate her with his fingers Allegedly, well, the juror says he did, so jury says he did, so he did. It's not a criminal case, so it's only, you know, civil liability. Five million for that case, and then he talks smack about her after that case, and her lawyer said, can we add the latest round of, you know, defamation to the next case that's coming up? Uh, judge says yes, and so now on top of the five million she could get, Another ten million, and it's clear that even though he lied and said he did not know Eugene Carroll, 
it's not just the photo that I pointed out to, uh, I think it's Fred, our friend who calls in about this, uh, who's a black Republican part of our uh, KBLA delegation. It's clear from the way that they are defending, the way the lawyers are defending the case, that they know that that is not going to pass the giggle test, that he doesn't know her, because that is not the defense that they're taking. What they're basically saying is, well, she she wasn't traumatized and she didn't, uh, this didn't ruin her life. It made her famous. It made her rich. I think that's a terrible defense myself because you're basically kind of conceding that he may have done it, but, but hey, it helped you. Yeah. So yeah. So what if I sexually assaulted you? You're famous and rich because of it. That's your defense. It still doesn't make it legal, moral, or allowable. Uh, under the law. And I hope that the jury sees it that way as well. I know 15 million ain't, ain't a lot for him, but all of these judgments, fines, lawyer fees will add up. And we don't even know if he was a real life billionaire or just played one on TV, but nobody wants to, you know, pay 5 million here, half a million there, 10 million there. That's how you end up be broke, be billionaire or not. Let's go to Howard calling us from Watts. Hi, Howard. Oh, hi. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I just want to call your attention to something uh, that happened last week. Put, put on your radar what happened in Guatemala last week. They elected uh, uh, a democratic uh, uh, government. They got rid of the oligarchy there. Yep. Just pay attention to that because um, Guatemala tried that before back in the 50s. They were overthrown it. In the seventies, too, if I'm not mistaken, the United States like to likes to install terrible, disgusting, far right wing dictators. I don't know that we can say, Howard, that we got rid of the oligarchy or they got rid of the oligarchy there because um, they um, tried really hard, uh, you know, not to even confirm uh, the the results of that election, right? And it was the indigenous people, the the Indians that made the difference in that election. Yeah, it's Bernardo Arevalo <clears throat> is the guy's name. They tried not to even swear him in. They tried to pull a DJT. And um, finally, they begrudgingly swear this guy in. He goes and speaks to indigenous people. But the indigenous people who organized for him and put him in office are already complaining because he's only got one indigenous uh, First Nations person in his cabinet. Um, it was a whole it was a whole Rudy Giuliani type situation where the the rich oligarchs were seizing ballot boxes and trying to say that the election was stolen blah 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 they tried to actually dissolve this guy's party um uh, Bernardo Erevalo they said uh that he, his party was not legal they started criminally investigating him and uh he called it a slow motion coup, but he's finally been sworn in. I'm glad you brought that up because I've been meaning to talk about it. They're, they're our neighbor. Uh, if you live in Cali, they're our neighbor uh, to the south. Um, but also the United States has a long history of supporting these violent, um, undemocratically um, installed leaders there in Guatemala. Well, you got also, uh, uh, Dr. Um Oh, oh, but you know, they, they, like you said, it's going to be a gunboat diplomacy and, and all recent history of Nicaragua. 
would install a, a democratic elected government and things. They spent the money that they wanted to make improvements on defense to keep people from uh, attacking them all the time, like the Contras. So I think we're going to see the same thing in Guatemala. And also, you got to think about the fact that uh, <clears throat> this is important to us because all of the migrants are coming from that part of the world, Central America and Mexico, South America, Venezuela, around Venezuela. So it's, it's going to have an effect on this country, too, as for the migrants go. And a lot of the migrants are coming from those countries down there. That's a really, water. really good point, an important point, Howard. Because when we keep destabilizing these Central American <clears throat> governments, the drug trade thrives. You see, you know, a lot of the people, if you live in L.A., I, I'm not sure if it's like this in Texas and even in Florida, but in California, a lot of those migrants are from Guatemala. A lot of them are Indian, indigenous. That is, those are the very people that in the infamous uh, city council L.A. Fed tape that Nuri Martinez was disparaging are the indigenous people. Um, saying they were short and brown and all this. Well, those folks, if they finally get their voices heard and they finally have a, a real democracy and we can stop interfering and allowing these, as like you say, oligarchs to just have their way, maybe less people would have to flee. And, you know, it looks like for once the United States may have been on the right side of uh, the election in this particular case. Well, we just have to wait and see. And uh, also, um, you got to realize that we depend on these people to do a lot of farm labor. Like I was in Alabama uh, recently, and all the time I've been there, first time I went there back in uh, in 2006, my cousin lives down the street from a, from, from a family. I was, that was my first time there, and I was there about 10 or 20 minutes going to the house. And I saw the family and said, where did they come from? You know, <clears throat> In Alabama, and they have a big stronghold in Alabama because they're doing a lot of the menial tests, you know, yep. like the tire shop. And, yeah, you know, I mean, a lot of like folks that. that you are assuming are, are Mexican or Guatemalan, and a lot of them are indigenous people that may speak another language besides Spanish. They're Mayans, right, um, for the most part, and other indigenous groups. And according to the Washington Post and other reports I've read, the, the Biden administration was... was um, you know, pressuring some of these folks you're calling oligarchs behind the scenes uh, and then, you know, threatening sanctions and making public statements uh, to push this across the finish line. Thanks so much for bringing that up, Howard. Continuing the conversation, you're welcome in. 800-920-1580. We are Unapologetically Progressive, KBLA Talk 1580. She's reclaiming her time on KBLA Talk 1580. More First Things First with Dominic DePrima when we come forward. The conversation continues right now, right now, right now with now, Dominic now. DePrima on First Things First. first. Things first. It does indeed, and uh, you can do like Howard and call 809-20-1580. Yes, Howard made some amazing points, and I'm really, really glad that you brought up this situation in Guatemala because these when we when we start getting a, an idea a global understanding of what we're faced with it's really much easier to um understand immigration and less easy to be full, fooled by those those talking points that do not serve us that create more and more and more injustice and to um Howard's point I'm looking at this article in the Washington Post 
the and what they say they're talking about how the Biden administration actually stepped in and supported the democratically elected um uh you know candidate after the rich folks were coalescing coalescing to try to get him out of there um ban the party and all these things uh, this guy um is a pro indigenous um man who is an, part of an anti-corruption party. His name is Bernard, um, Bernardo Arevalo. And he was sworn in this past weekend after the, you, you know, the U.S. did a behind-the-scenes uh, diplomatic effort, uh, strong-arming folks to make sure that that actually happened. But here's, I'm, I'm going to read what they say here. They say that such an effort occurred in Guatemala is particularly remarkable. In 1954, the CIA backed a coup to oust the country's democratically elected leftist president, Jacobo Arbenz. President Ronald Reagan praised a military dictator, General Efrain uh, Rios Montt, and a uh, sidebar from me, not just praised him, g- propped him up, gave him money, um, and backed him. That uh, that dictator was later convicted of the genocide of indigenous people, allegedly sympathetic to Marxist-led guerrillas. Um, that conviction was overturned, but he was back on trial when he died in 2018. And then the guy that this guy replaced, this guy, uh, Gia Matei, he was another... Um, he was accused of corruption. He was in good with all these oligarchs that you're talking about who have ties to the drug cartels. They're not just your garden variety rich people. These are folks that have verifiable ties to the drug cartels and the human being smugglers that have blazed a path straight through Central America to Mexico, right to our border. And not only that, they're the ones that are driving these refugees, these migrants, not the Venezuelans, that's a whole different situation. But when you talk about Guatemalans and Hondurans and, uh, you know, even uh, uh, Salvadorians, you're talking about folks who are in many times are fleeing drug violence. And the irony of it is they're fleeing drug violence and then they're paying the same drug cartels to smuggle them here because human trafficking has become even more profitable than drug trafficking uh, for these criminal organizations. Um, And here's where you got to read between the headlines. The Washington Post says, the Biden administration has watched democracy crumble in Nicaragua and El Salvador and feared the tread was spreading. Okay, they conveniently leave out Honduras where there was a coup and uh, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama decided to embrace the winner of the coup rather than supporting the democratically elected president. And that guy is now on trial because his brother is a drug kingpin. So, so many of these um, issues, problems that lead to our, our air quotes crisis at the border, which is a crisis that goes back decades, right? Are, are patchwork racist generally dumb immigration policy. It's not new to Biden. Wasn't new to Trump. Wasn't new to Obama. It's because for the most part, politicians are too (sighs) scared, fearful to take a strong stand and make a clear policy. 
But anyway, this guy Arevalo, I think it's it's you know these are the good signs. He was he was uh, tr- polling at three percent. No one gave him a chance in hell to win. Uh, he organizes indigenous people. Then the young people get behind him and start a whole campaign on TikTok. Yes, Miles, I'm joining TikTok. And the guy comes from nowhere after the TikTok campaign to play second, goes to the runoff and wins with 60% of the vote. Okay, I know that the idea man, Joe Nixon says social media is nothing, and in some ways it's not. But if you're directly connected to a group of folks like indigenous people who are, you know, Indios, Indians, indigenous First Nations folks who have been oppressed and been at the bottom of the caste ladder in much of Latin America, most especially Guatemala, for decades, for generations. And then they have the opportunity to communicate amongst themselves using these tools, then it really can be something. And in this case, you know, for, to jump from 3% to 60% with almost no money driven by TikTok and the on-the-ground organizing of indigenous people. And finally, he's sworn in this past weekend after, you know, weeks of these oligarchs that Howard talked about trying to stop him from being sworn in. <sighs> We're going to have to do some work here to make sure that whoever actually wins our next election does get sworn in and that we get it to the point, we get our democracy to the point of direct democracy where you can't keep winning the White House and losing the popular vote like Donald Trump did, like George Bush did. It's time to get rid of the Electoral College so our democracy can be, well, democratic, uh, you're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. The station you turn to when you've had it up to here with cultural incompetence. KBLA Talk 1580. Broadcasting live from Lamar Park, USA. Welcome back to your home for unapologetically progressive radio. KBLA Talk 1580. And uh, I want to remind you that tomorrow is our weekly feature, Friedman Fridays, and we will be hearing from Dr. Cheryl Grills, who was a member of the California uh, Reparations Task Force and continues to organize around reparations and uh, informing the public um, and in, you know, moving the legislation. Like here in the state of California, there is a package of legislation which is meant to be um, meant to be follow up to the recommendations, a 1,200-page recommendation report that the task force issued. And money is an important part of that, of course, continuing uh, to pursue that, focus on that, understand that. But um, also some of it is doable through legislation. And that is where the public will comes in because it is the, what are the lawmakers going to be bold enough to do? And they tend to put their finger in the wind and see uh, where it is blowing. Some polling says that uh, reparations, at least in the form of money, is not popular with the public yet. But if you think about it, even a serious conversation about uh, reparations was considered impossible on the political stage only a few years ago. Um, 
And that, um, that conversation now is in the mainstream. We are having r- real conversations with mainstream political um, figures driven by the people, though, not driven by, oh, politicians saying, oh, yeah, this would be a great idea, um, but by us uh, pushing and, and continuing to educate and make sure that folks understand what this is about and why it is a debt and not a luxury, not a handout, not welfare, none of those things. So I just want to continue to, um, you know, talk about it every week, a comprehensive reparations conversation, not being afraid of the fact that we have many different organizations as, uh, Friday Jones said last week, who may not agree on everything, but who are definitely, um, working to get this thing across the finish line and finding those points of unity, finding those uh, places where we can move the ball forward together and seeing where in the places where we don't have unity, what we can do to, um, what we can do to listen to each other and maybe learn from one another's positions and find some some spots where the elders are right, find some spots where um, the younger generations are right and really continue to um, to push the envelope because we are making progress. And I think when we don't, when we don't make a note of that, that's when we lose um, the work that we have done so far. And that work is not just what you or I have done. It is a work that's been done, is being done, um, has been done for generations, um, going all the way back, actually, if you trace it to enslavement. So I hope you'll join me for that tomorrow. And I hope that all of us are getting a little smarter when it comes to, um, when it comes to reparations, understanding what it is, what it can be, and how we play a role in that. Um, I don't know if we needed a report. Sometimes these reports come out and you think, why did we need a report for that? I saw it with my own eyes. But the uh, Justice Department has issued a report about what happened, the shooting in Uvalde, Texas, um, back in 2022, where 21 people were killed. Those are mostly Latino children. Um, in where we had, you know, famously police like standing around doing nothing um, while children were slaughtered inside. The Justice Department basically um, outlines the failures of that response and blames, for the most part, blames uh, local law enforcement, um, blames... um, the the school officials, but also more elected officials and law the um, police. Um, it was it's a five hundred and seventy five page report where they just detail all of the fails, the lack of communication, the cowardice, and how we ended up with uh, nineteen children and uh, two teachers plus the shooter. Um, dead. Um, and interestingly enough, 
It really details how those local police leaders just created more confusion. They were completely disorganized. And that is the reason or one of the main reasons why there were 77 minutes between um, the time that shooting started and the time that the police finally went in and tried to take action. Uh, I think, you know, it's important that the Justice Department does this, and I hope that people um, take away the fact that this is, you know, th- this is not meant to to be a charging document, but it's meant to be an accountability document. And I hope for those who are very interested in keeping our children safe, it also is a reminder that law enforcement alone doesn't do it. And in fact, many cases, um, most of the time, um, it is the teachers, it is the counselors, it is the community that uh, really can keep our children safe um, in those situations. Um, I told you the judge in the E. Jean Carroll case, this is actually a Donald Trump, I should call it the Donald Trump case, but you'd be confused because there's so many. Um, it's the second uh, civil trial for defamation uh, by Donald Trump against the writer E. Jean Carroll. And this judge has been trying to keep uh, the courtroom tight. Um, it's <laughs> it's gotten so out of hand that uh, Judge Lewis Kaplan actually is now um, threatening to throw the former president out of the courtroom. Uh, that's because... the. Ch- the former president sitting at the table, you know, the defense table, is making loud comments about the judge, talking smack about the judge in court loud enough for the jury to hear it. Anyone else, anyone else would have been held in contempt of court and, and probably thrown in jail. I, I just, for, I don't understand how folks, how, um, People, you know, U.S. voters can watch this and think the guy's not getting a fair shake in court. He's been given so many breaks. You know, I don't care if you're a Republican, a Democrat, a white person, you know, a blackety black person. Um, If you sit up in court with an earshot of the jury and talk smack about the judge, you are not going to stay in that courtroom and you probably not, um, huh, probably not going to keep your freedom. And that's why I don't, you know, I don't understand how anyone, any voter you know, buys this whiny, you know, I'm the victim, this snowflake victim, wah, 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 persona that so many of these MAGA folks take on, led by whiner-in-chief DJT, he who shall not be named, the orange menace. Y'all know who I'm talking about. To me, there's nothing more annoying than a whiny billionaire, a whiny privileged billionaire. Um, I want you to pay attention to this because I've heard it on our air. I'm not going to point out where I'm sure you could figure it out. 
play follow the word, the follow the words game. And I've heard it a lot more on conservative outlets like CNN. Yeah, I call them a conservative outlet because that's where they are these days. This group, No Labels, which calls itself an independent uh, political group that wants to put forth a candidate, possibly Joe Manchin or someone like that to run for president. They better hurry up. But in in any case, those folks and then um, so-called third-party candidates like Kennedy, they're getting a lot of money and a lot of play from conservatives and the mainstream media because those people believe that they can take just enough votes away from Joe Biden to help the convict, Don the con, well, he's not been convicted yet. And I shouldn't say convict after what I uh, learned from <laughs> Joe Nixon. We should call him an inmate, a future inmate, not a convict. Uh, go to the podcast if you don't know what I'm talking about. It's free wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, that, how does, they want to give him just, an, they want to take away just enough Biden votes to help him win. Um, and he might not need those votes, but he might. You know, you never know. People can s- wake up and smell the corruption, wake up and smell the indictments. We could probably very unlikely to have convictions, although we could definitely have a, 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 an outcome in this second E. Jean Carroll. I mean, there's so many things that can happen, right? They are trying to undermine and erode uh, the Democratic bloc at a time when Biden's already struggling with low popularity ratings, unpopular foreign policy, and this effective smear campaign that he's too old to be president. And I say if he's too old to be president, so is Trump. These are the candidates we have. I'm not an ageist. Everybody's 80 is not the same. Everybody's 50 is not the same. You know? We all wish we could be glamorous like Maxine Waters at 80. Walking the whole King Parade in stilettos and a fancy cute suit. Fashion goals. Not all of us are able. It should be about your ability, your fitness for office, not your actual age. But if you guys are saying that Biden is too old and Trump's too old too, we have to have a whole do-over. But keep your eyes on these, no labels, these um, Kennedy candidates. Follow the money. Follow the money. They might not be labeled, but their little generic brand is backed by ultra-conservative deep pockets. I'm Dominique DePrima for KBLA Talk 1580. More of First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. Council. Your ancestors' favorite radio station. Radio station. And your favorite morning show host. Let's get back to Dominique DePrima right now. Right now. Right now, it's the battle of the billionaires uh, with Tesla CEO Elon Musk. Um, you know, we should have the real housewives of billionaire row. Anyway, he's going in on uh, Mark Cuban. Because Mark Cuban was had made statements in, in support of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Something that Elon Musk has 
exed or posted on X uh, Twitter, the platform he owns, DEI Must Die. And then he reposted um, a an article or, or, or a post by Bill Ackman, the um, hedge fund billionaire who drove Claudine Gay out of office, whose own wife uh, has been uh, credibly accused of plagiarizing Wikipedia, of all things, and who has now just discovered that DEI is a thing <clears throat> that he wants to dismantle. So Musk tweets, DEI is just another word for racism. Shame on anyone who uses it. It's such an ahistorical viewpoint. And the irony of this coming from a white South African, a white South African billionaire who may, whose family made their money from emerald mines on the labor of guess who? Oh, they had full diversity, not no diversity, but they had full ec- inclusion there. Only black people extracting your wealth that you then went on to, you know, build your little tech platforms and become a billionaire, the owner of multiple companies, Tesla, SpaceX, the boring company, etc. Um, the irony of someone who comes from the apartheid nation of South Africa, whose family built their wealth during the apartheid era with emerald mines, imagine the working conditions, who's been sued by the state of California in the biggest discrimination lawsuit in the state's history, in a big state's big long history for the treatment of black workers in the Tesla factories, which had a special section called the plantation where workers were mistreated, called the N-word and everything else, given the hardest assignments, denied promotions to the point where our progressive Filipino um, attorney general brought a case. (laughs) The irony of him opening his mouth to say DEI is just another word for racism. Shame on anyone who uses it. Is incredible. <clears throat> you're coming from you're coming from a country, a whole country that is still deeply in need of DEI. I just visited it last year where most of the wealth is still concentrated in the hands of white folks who stole it, extracted it from black bodies, colonized it. (laughs) It's beyond ironic. It is actually enraging. It's actually enraging. So you want to bring your apartheid here. Look, I understand that the South African apartheid business uh, uh, model was largely um, followed the Jim Crow plan along with Nazi Germany. And I understand that may be what you mean when you say make America great again. But we're not standing for that. And since when does someone who's not an historian, not an anti-racist, not even an American, get to define what diversity, equity, and inclusion means in this country and what role it plays in this country who was founded on the enslavement of black people and indigenous people, the, the enslavement of black people and, and the genocide of indigenous people. 
but you get to come over here from your little apartheid state with your little black blood emerald money and tell us what racism is? That's what you get to do. Whoa. Whoa. White privilege much? That, I mean, look, I've met this guy. I've, I've talked to him. I've been to his house. I thought he was a nice guy. At the time, he seemed like a nice guy. He wasn't wiling out like he is now. And you think, well, you know, maybe all people from born and raised by apartheid era South Africans ain't bad. <laughs> I should have been, um, I should have been warned by the fact that his only black friend seems to be Kanye West. I love Ye, don't get me wrong, as an artist. But this, um, the fact that these two white billionaires are having a cat fight over DEI should also be a canary in a coal mine for those of us, or a canary in the emerald mine, for those of us who are wondering where the next big battle is, right? It's one of those big battles. I know we can, we, luckily, we can fight on multiple fronts at, at once, and Ron DeSantis is, you know, hanging on by a thread. He's probably not going to last too much longer in the race, even though he says, he said, uh, I think it was yesterday, that if if Donald Trump is the nominee, Republicans will lose. I hope he's right. For once, I hope he's right. But I, I don't think that he is, sadly. I think we're in danger of another Trump presidency. But he certainly has shown leadership. Uh, DeSantis, a.k.a. DeSatan, in the area of outlawing DEI. And so we're going to have to think about how we build equity, how we build inclusion, how we build diversity into structures that have uh, systemic racism baked in the cake in which this DEI is meant to help correct Um with even in, in an era when they're they're going to be moving to outlaw it. Mark Cuban said, good businesses look where others don't define the employees that will put your business in the best possible position to succeed. And I love that Mark Cuban said that because this idea that by having diversity and, and inclusion and equity, you're getting lesser candidates is a lie. All we're saying is stop locking us out give us the opportunity. And we know that diverse businesses do better financially, socially, and in terms of innovation. By extending our hiring to search to include them, we can find people that are more qualified. That's what Mark Cuban said. And that, that right there is the point that needs to be repeated. It's a talking point that needs to be repeated by extending our hiring search to include them. We can find people that are more qualified, not less qualified, more qualified, but historically and systemically excluded. That's not racism. That's called fairness. Fairness. DEI is meant to bring fairness he says, the loss of DEI-phobic companies is my gain. I love that. Go on and ex exclude people and let me make all this money while you over here 
excluding green dollars from your bottom line because of your white supremacist ideology. You're willing to take the hit to the bottom line because you're so committed to your white supremacist ideology. Put that in your pipe and tweet it.